credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Man podcast. I'm your host, Zach Schenken. Today, I'm joined by Abby Jean. Abby is an entrepreneur, writer, student of nutrition, and women's physical and mental health advocate, primarily focused on helping young women navigate the evolving landscape of social media. Abby also has a background in philosophy, as well as a very diverse and curious mind, so I look forward to our conversation covering kind of anything today. Um, Abby, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. Thank you very much. What a kind introduction. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. I try to cover all my bases. I don't, it's hard to distill any person into a couple of sentences, but you have a lot of diverse interests, which I think is always a compliment to give. I don't think that... And I, I've had this conversation similarly with both friends and podcast guests. I remember specifically Winston comes to mind. We were talking about how the world tries to put us with like ER words like we, I think even you and you and I even talked a little bit about it, but it's people want to label and identify like teacher, lawyer, um, and I think to be human is to follow all of those interesting things that we find intriguing in the moment or inspiring or we're just curious about. And I think just based on our previous conversation on the phone, like you have done a good job of it thus far in your life and are continuing to do it even in what you're kind of building online um being so kind of i don't know just representative of you as a person rather than like i'm trying to niche down and i'm trying to do x y and z because i think we do have that temptation when you're putting yourself out there to like define your messaging and there's always that delicate balance of like product market fit speaking to a specific audience and i just want to be me and be authentic yeah 100%. I think like what we were talking about on the phone prior to this was kind of society putting you in, into a box and like you, again, the whole niching down thing. It's an extremely frustrating thing to try and navigate. Um, and I personally just cannot, I can't do it. I'm interested in too many things and life. There is just so much that life has to offer. Like, why would you put yourself into a box? Of course it's, I think it's a, it's a skill to become a master, you know, and really learn pretty much all the crooks and crannies of one specific field so that you, you know, again, become a master at understanding whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I just think there's too much to learn. Why would you only focus on one thing? I agree. And I honestly, I go back and forth because I do really, really admire people who have achieved mastery in something. Um, I think it's it's very admirable and also like it speaks to the ceiling of potential of a person because in whatever it may be like study of academics, athletics, what what have you like at the very, very top degree, we all admire the person who was the greatest or one of those greats. So I think for myself, I'm always like, well, what's my thing going to be? And I kind of have to fight that inner dialogue where there's that calling to like want to be great at something but also knowing that i'm not ever going to really be able to outcompete. like there's only one best at each of those things and so the best and at least most efficacious route and this is a working theory 
is to just kind of like we were talking about literally right before we started recording this is like be you because like you are putting yourself into a niche of one a category of one so you're only out competing yourself on a daily basis and no one else could possibly kind of out compete you at authentic expression because what you find curious and your diverse set of interests is completely different from mine we may have certain buckets that overlap and obviously i reached out because i i found some of the stuff you were putting out there very interesting and i wanted to discuss it with you but there are certain things that you care about that i could i could give a shit about and likewise myself (laughs) included um i probably have all kinds of niche interests that you're just like yeah that great for you (laughs) like i have no no uh no particular concern but before we go too far there i do want to I like to start things off to give people both context for what they're listening and also speak towards the story. I think every person in general has a path towards, call it self-mastery, self-actualization, but like a calling to be better, like really stepping into themselves as I think it's very clear that anyone reads your your writing, you are at least on that path and very well into yourself um, development journey. So I want to hear a little bit about how that started for you. It's definitely a little bit open-ended, but like focusing maybe on a uh, inflection point, maybe it was a hardship, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was a single person or mentor that came in your life, a book. Um, so kind of tell me a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are now. Ooh, well, um, I, yeah, so many things I reckon has kind of, got me to where I am now I've always been an overthinker or like I, I'm over analytical you could say and I'm also quite a sensitive person um but I personally like I, I know that there's kind of a negative connotation around the idea of being a sensitive individual but I think that as a woman it's not a bad thing to be sensitive it just means that you're very in tune with energies and like your intuition is heightened. That's a, you know, if anything, that's a protective mechanism. I like to think of it as a superpower, but there was a period in my life where, I don't know, I I guess all of that like emotion, especially in high school and like, you know, your angsty teenage years, it was a bit too much for me. And I kind of like, I decided to, not turn it off, but I I kind of lent more into being angry and just sad, but also like numb. I kind of lent into the numb numbness of, I don't know, for want of a better word, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, so I grew up, um, one of my siblings was, you know, struggled with alcohol and stuff. So I, I saw, certain things at a young age that perhaps some people would argue you shouldn't see, um, but you also can't help that. And, like, to be to be very clear, I'm very uh, close with my brother and I love him a lot. But, yeah, obviously um, when you're quite young, there's a huge age gap between me and my older brother. Um, you kind of are forced to see reality at a really young age and that's quite confronting I think and yeah so that was like kind of I'd say the first first step to me sort of analyzing life being like why does someone feel the need to 
sort of numb themselves to this extent. Life seems pretty good. I mean, you've got all these opportunities, you know, um, there's so much beauty all around. Why do you feel the need to use this substance to numb your experience of life? So it kind of started there and I was probably like, I want to say eight at the time. And then as I progressed, you know, I, I changed schools in year, well, I was probably around 12 or 13 years old. I changed schools. And that's a huge thing when you're a young individual. It, it's really important for you to fit in, especially with your peers. You kind of shift from looking for your parental, for your, from your parents' validation to your peers' validation. And I did not fit in in the school that I moved to. So I kind of um, was sitting with the wrong people and I thought that because they were popular, that they were liked and I just wanted to be liked, I just wanted to fit in and they to me seemed like the epitome of what it meant to fit in. But they treated me awfully. Um, you know, I, I don't like to say that I was bullied but I suppose I wasn't treated very well, let's say. Um, I sat with these guys for like over a year. They never invi invited me to parties they, you know, one, like there was one particular person who pretty much every time I had a class with them would tell me to kill myself. It's just like really intense sort of experiences that forced me to understand why people want to numb themselves, I guess. And whether it was like other people, I'm not sure. But anyway, at the end of the day, I was, um, I think that if anything, it's just been, sort of a series of events that has led me to where I am now and the reflection of those events, kind of looking back on them without the heightened emotion and thinking about how they made me feel and healing from it, if that makes sense. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely gave you kind of an open-ended question. I, I like to let people explore it because I think that the way they answer it tells a lot about their experience um and so thank you for being vulnerable um i do want to ask about like do you find that when you were going through that experience and you're you know you're observing things or behaviors in other people that maybe you don't understand whether it's your brother or kind of these other people treating you in a less than savory way um were you also self-observing like your own behaviors for for instance like i'm like, were you in your head enough to be recognizing, like, I'm doing things that are maybe not me to, like, want to fit in? Or when do you think that, that like, real introspective ability started? Was it mostly in retrospect down the road, like, university and onward? No. So, I, I when I was sitting with this particular group of people, I ended up moving uh, and, like, changing groups, which is a pretty big deal when you're a teenager, you kind of like find your your click and then you want to stay with them. But I was being treated so poorly and I started interacting with other people at school and realized that <laughs> there's like there's some humanity in them and that they just treated me well. It, it just seems like the most simple thing. You just you look at another person and you treat them like a human. I didn't feel like I was being being treated that way. And whether it was my father's influence where, you know, he was just like, if people don't treat you with respect, then don't give them the time of day. Just leave, leave. 
And I guess I just sort of, something clicked over a summer break. And I was like, I'm not enduring this anymore. I'm not enduring this sort of behavior. I don't deserve that. You know, I don't fit in with these guys. They don't like me. Even like, it's, it's a weird thing because I was trying to fit in with them, but I didn't. I wanted to fit in with them because I thought that being a part of their clique meant that everyone liked me, you know, because they were the popular people. So I had this realisation whilst interacting with people outside of that group that they actually weren't very popular. Not a lot of people actually liked them. And so I went from this kind of mindset of, oh, everyone likes these people, they're popular, they, they seem to fit in really well and they're really cool and that's what I want to be. So I pretended to act like them and they didn't like that about me. They were like, you clearly just not being yourself. You don't fit in with us because you're pretending to be something that you're not. So they didn't like me for that in, in ways and they mistreated me for that. Um, and then I realised that at the end of the day, the outsiders didn't like them either. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be judged regardless of, you know, if I'm going to be judged anyway for being uh, fake or not myself, I may as well be myself anyway. And at least I know who I am and that's all that matters. At least I have my family and a few close friends who know who I am and that's all that matters. Because regardless, at the end of the day, people are going to judge you. So you may as well just be yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at least it's easier to look in the mirror. Yeah, it's it's so powerful. And it it's definitely like a meta principle that can be extrapolated to life. And, I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for meaningful work, purpose-driven fulfillment. It's like kind of the, the very crux of like the work that I do with the guys that I work with, um, trying to get people to live life of meaning and give their gift and uh i've referenced it before but I, I don't know if you've seen the jim carrey commencement speech but he's talking about his father and basically the quote i will poorly misquote here but he's talking about you know you can fail he's telling his dad's story and saying that like he took the safe route took the job whatever and then ended up losing it all anyway and he's saying that like you can fail chasing someone else's dreams or living someone else's life so you might as well make a go of it, being yourself, chasing your own dreams, following your unique bliss, curiosities, interests, just because you have an equal opportunity to fail at somebody else's life. And and like how sad Absolutely. would it be in the case of his father? Um, and I think honestly, many people we kind of meet and interact with that choose these structured paths that are unfortunately very clearly laid out for us. And, you know, we, we can get into education, which I, I am curious to discuss on because I thought you have a pretty unique perspective. But like the unfortunate thing is like schooling is set up to make good employees, not to make critical thinkers or honestly great artists or curious minds, like people being more of themselves. It's got like very clear signage, markage, like railroad tracks for you to go down and just be another one of somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, school and education is very interesting. I mean, I think that 
as you said, education is very structured. And I think Jordan Peterson talks about this, that school is not created. It is not, it is not structured for creative thinkers at all, because you want to question the way things are being done. You have a lot of questions. And if you're someone who has a lot of questions and even if it gets to a point where you start questioning authority, that, that doesn't mend well with the school system. So, yeah, I, I think that although that realisation that I had was in school, I was quite young, and I am grateful for that because it taught me to just be myself. And as you said, and, I mean, like, it's just, it's just a sad... I find it sad that people feel like they have to conform to what they're told from an external source you know that's really sad because if you like how how will you know what genuinely makes you happy and like lights a fire in your heart and not knowing that i think is just like a waste of a life in a way and school again teaches you to just sit down do what you're told don't question anything. We'll tell you what to wear. We'll tell you when to take, well, at least in Australia, we have like pretty much all schools wear a uniform. I know that's a bit different in America, but tell you what to wear, what time to come, what time to leave, what time to eat lunch, how to act, what work to do, when it's due. How is any of that different from a nine to five job? It's not, you know. It doesn't, it, it teaches you, as, again, as you said, it teaches you how to be a worker bee. It doesn't tell you or teach you how to be an individual. Yeah, I, I agree. And I will say, though, I guess playing devil's advocate for the sake of the audience, there are tremendous difficulties I, I've, you know, in my journey. And we, obviously, we, we hear it parried, parroted by many entrepreneurs and the people that take the path less beaten. They talk about, you know, fear of judgment of others, like getting through imposter syndrome, like all of these kind of big hurdles that are put in place between you and living that more unique life, the life that's not on the train tracks, actually following um, what it is you are meant to do uniquely. How did you navigate those types of things? Because I mean, I'm speaking from my I, like a informed position because I, I know the journey a little bit. Um, from our previous call, but like kind of coming up, studying something, deciding, okay, that's not what I want to be doing. This is leading me towards a place where I'm going to be in education. I have too many gripes with the system, huge, hard pivot. I want to study this thing I'm interested in. And then also, how did you find yourself putting yourself out there making content? Yeah. So I was studying primary education and I mean, I just didn't agree with what they were wanting me to teach young children. (laughs) It's pretty simple. I just couldn't believe that the amount of politics that was in a primary education degree, I I, I don't know, it it blew my mind. And obviously I understand the the sort of influence children have and it it is a huge position of power to stand in front of a classroom of children and teach them new information and I don't think a lot of teachers truly understand the amount of uh importance that position holds 
So that that's a huge responsibility. And knowing what they wanted me to teach them, I just could not, I could not do it. And again, I, a lot of people said, ah, oh, man, I, I just remember like having this conversation with older people like boomers and I was like I don't think I want to do this and they're like we need people like you in the industry we need teachers like you who are able to like critically think and can teach children about that and I 100% agree with that but I just was not passionate enough to try and go in and change everything it's a huge sort of I don't want to say it's a burden but it's not something that I feel passionate about enough um, I'm passionate about children, but I think that there's just better ways to approach that sort of problem. Um, and whether it is through sort of content creation, I'm not sure. Another, another thing that I experienced throughout the degree is, and I think I maybe briefly told you this, I was always quite good at public speaking and, um, I, always generally got 100% on any sort of presentation that I did. The only time I got 50% only passed was in this degree when I was being, uh, we, we were given a topic to talk about how, you know, how does this, and I was given the topic of technology, how does technology help children in the classroom? And, you know, I was in a group, I was in a group and we were trying to figure out, all right, how, what are the pros and cons here? I wanted to talk about the cons because this woman was taking such a linear approach to such a complex topic. And I wanted to discuss that. And I wanted to discuss that with other people in the classroom who were also learning to become primary school teachers. And it was such an engaging conversation. I was asking people questions like, do you feel as though you've had negative impacts from using technology? All of them were saying yes. All of them were like, yeah, I haven't actually even thought about this. This is such a good point. I feel as though my attention span is going down. I feel as though every time I go on social media, I'm comparing myself and my life and my achievements to all of these other people. These are important things to talk about, especially if we're going to be implementing this kind of technology in a classroom setting for young children who don't even have the ability to reason with these things properly. And that's not to say that children aren't capable of thinking and having intellectual thoughts because they absolutely, like, we need to give them more credit, I would say. But this is a very... The technology is extremely complicated. We as adults don't even like completely understand what it's going to do and like how it's going to change our culture and society. We have already seen that progression, but it's, um, yeah, in, in a classroom setting, I wanted to discuss the negative impacts and she didn't like that. She didn't like that as a teacher. And I always thought that as a teacher, you should be encouraging thought. And so when I was shut down, whilst in university, of all places, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that turned me off completely. Um, 
And that's kind of what, yeah, shifted me to wanting to, I suppose, learn as much as possible so that I could figure out what I actually wanted to do, whatever path I wanted to go down. And again, I'm very interested in many things. And I, I think that, you know, again, I can't put myself in a box. I am studying health science, but it sort of covers many different topics as well. Health is a huge uh, sort of topic and it covers many different things, you know, from physical health to mental health to spiritual health. It, 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 there's so many, there's a myriad of things within the scope of health and uh, education, especially when you're studying primary education, kind of puts you in a box, which again, I don't want to be put in a, into a box either. Um, Do you think yeah. that that, um, that hard conversation, that inflection point, and honestly just discussing with your peers, the role of technology? Like, do you think that that was the beginning of your maybe realization or depth of interest? Because I know you often speak, um, at least on Twitter, like the writing that you do is often centered around the role of technology and like at least prompting people to be aware of like, hey, like how did you use technology today? Like, have you thought about how it's affected your mental health or how you're viewing yourself or how we're discussing topics like men and women and like all of this stuff. Um, so, so I think like that is at least a main through line of the writing that you do on Twitter. Do you think that that was the impetus for your interest there? For sure. I think that I, I didn't, I didn't realize that people only saw technology as a positive thing. And when I was confronted with that, or at least that lady at the time who only wanted to talk about the positives of technology in the classroom. I reflected a lot on my experience with technology, especially as a high school student, you know. Um, I mean, it's more centered around social media because I think that, again, like I think technology is incredible in so many ways, but it's definitely kind of overtaking our lives and that is what I'm concerned about. So, yeah, I would say that it started with that and a fear of, like, children yeah. just knowing how addictive technology is and the thought of implementing that in a classroom with children, that worried me and that concerned me. So, yeah, I, I kind of, like, it led into me being interested in technology and like sort of encouraging people to use it less if that makes sense yeah absolutely and i definitely think i mean it opens up a very wide discussion which is worth having um anyone who's like read any amount of dystopic fiction 1984 um just like any of that stuff it's it we're starting to live in a reality that looks wildly more similar to that every single day it certainly seems and i try not to i try to remain optimistic and not like black pill myself at like this potentially dark future that we're moving into like this technocratic state we're losing like transhumanism all that stuff but i also know that if i look at what i am told is like all of recorded history and we look at all the inflection points of massive developments of technology humans have never walked away from a new technology other than the atom bomb that's the one we just kind of just agree not to use again but outside of that we continually kind of march forward so knowing that 
technology comes like AI being one of the big ones coming down the barrel, at least that's what we think is this next window. How do you look at, okay, these things are coming. We're likely going to have to integrate them. What is the best, what, like, what is your working thesis for how we can kind of like almost conceptualize like what's coming at us technology wise and integrate it into a healthy like lifestyle, knowing that we're not going to be able to just realistically walk into the woods and not use technology. Yeah. I mean, I'm very hopeful that <laughs> we'll just like walk into the woods and yeah, just camp forever and I don't know, light a fire and stare at that. And that'll be our form of entertainment, but I know that that's not going to happen. So yeah. Um, and also I know that for me, like I benefit from technology at the moment. And I think that it's incredible that we've been able to meet through technology as well. I definitely think that there are many positives to technology, but I think ultimately it's just about building an awareness around your usage of this technology. And it's a, a quote that I heard ages ago was, you use the tool, the tool doesn't use you. So if we can learn to use our phones and technology as a tool, because that's ultimately why humans create things. We create tools to make certain activities or tasks easier. It's a, it's a form of convenience. But when you think about it turning into like a medium for human interaction, that's where I become a bit nervous. So we shouldn't be replacing good, real human conversation with very passive connection through social media. That's pretty much my main my main thing. And in terms of like how to how to integrate it into a healthy lifestyle, I think that again, awareness around your usage is probably the first first and foremost for me is just be aware of how you're using it and how much time you're spending on it and how it makes you feel you know are you are you neglecting certain chores or tasks or goals like working towards certain goals are you neglecting that because you are so addicted and consumed within this dopamine world. That's not good. That's not healthy. So you need to think about, about that. You need to process that information and try and figure out how you can use your phone with intention and purpose. Um, I think that, I mean, like I've heard so many people talk about it in that sort of way. I think just using your phone intentionally and with purpose and just turning it off when, you, when you've done what you needed to do. Yeah. I think that's a really healthy perspective. And it, the tough part is it's it's obviously a, it's a hard balance to ride because we're going against our like evolutionary programming, which is like this reward centers. And then the people who design things, knowing how the brain works and incentivizing you to stay on in kind of this perpetual loop of malaise and like pseudo satisfaction. So, mm. yeah, I think it's it's a it's a tough one. And, and now that I'm stepping into the space where I'm kind of creating content, trying to build a business online, grow my audience, all that stuff. It's even this new balance where in the past I had kind of well-defined systems, time limits for 
um, being on certain applications or my phone at large. But now it's like, you know, the more presence I'm on, the more time I'm present online equates to potentially, you know, both future customers, but even just general growth on social media. So I'm honestly like having to revisit that practice for myself and knowing, okay, maybe like for me, what's helpful is like task batching. I know like at a certain time, log on, do the things and then log off versus just like, Mm -hmm. I know I have to do all of these things at some point today. And then it's kind of the aimlessly on and off. And, and I think that that's where we can kind of get sucked in as well. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think everything in duality, right? I, I try not to, I don't want to be the guy who's like the Luddite with his kids. Like, you know, don't put the goggles on like dad, everyone else has a chip. Like, I don't know where technology's going. Yeah. Um, but I definitely find that like, like you're kind of alluding to where it's where technology steps over the boundary of what it means to be human and have human experiences. And so social media is like this pseudo social experience. And then now we're moving towards this world of like augmented reality. So now like everything you could visually perceive potentially is going to be augmented by technology. And then, you know, the next step after that is that it's like a permanent implant and who knows what it's going to do to our perception of reality and or total reality experience. So I get, I think that that's where I try to draw the line. But again, I I worry about like how much of our reality is already pseudo, you know, like I'm blessed Mm. and feel extremely grateful to have connected with you. We're on the other side of the world. Like I shouldn't know that you exist. And likewise, you shouldn't know that I exist theoretically, but we're having this conversation. We're connecting, having conscious conversation, hopefully that benefits the people listening. So I think that, that that is amazing. I feel like unbelievably grateful to be alive right now doing the things that I'm doing with the tools at my disposal. But I also think like, I, I, I don't know, knowing that I want to be a father, like what is the, what, what do I tell my kids? What world am I bringing them into with technology and all that stuff? Yeah. I've, I've thought a lot about that as well, because in certain jobs that I've had, I've observed the interaction between a parent and their child and the child is so interested in the mobile phone. You know, it's like a lolly to them. And I've also seen the opposite where a parent encourages the child to read instead. I think for me, or at least what I'm going to do with my children is teach them what I know about the negative impacts that technology has on us and to not let it take you away from living life because that's that's ultimately my main concern is that we're spending more time on our screens as opposed to looking up and around us and having conversations with people that like this, I mean, like this, again, obviously it's funny and kind of ironic because we're using technology as a medium to have this discussion and bagging it out. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think just being clear about how technology can suck you in and how it can have a negative impact on your well-being teaching children about that, perhaps giving them some books and giving them tools on how to use it as a tool. Giving them information is probably like 
the best way to approach that whole discussion. And yeah, it, it is concerning in terms of, especially if you just put them through a normal schooling system and every other kid is going to have a phone. How do you, how do you confront that conversation with a child? Because in their mind, all they want to do is fit in. And if fitting in means, well, everyone else has a phone and this is what they're doing at lunch. And if I'm just this weird kid who's sitting in the corner, not doing anything, that again can have a bad impact long-term on their mental health and their well-being because they didn't fit in. And this kind of like goes back to my com- what I was saying earlier about my background. Because I didn't fit in, that has been something that I've had to sort of resolve within myself. So I don't necessarily want to put my kid in that position. Whether I'm going to actually put them through the, you know, public schooling system is an entirely different discussion. Um, But I think that, you know, information and knowledge is the best thing that you can give them in terms of technology. Um, Yeah, maybe giving them some books as well. I'm definitely going to make my kids read Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Because that'll just, that'll, you know, before I give you this phone, you have to read this book, you know? Yeah. yeah. Structured I, time as well. Yeah. I think that, yeah, education and I, I like the laissez-faire approach because I'm very grateful that my parents raised me in that way with kind of the broad world of, I don't know, temptation and bad things like alcohol, drugs, etc. They were basically like, here's what typically happens if you become a drug addict or become an alcoholic we know we can't go and like stop you so like just here's typically the case study um, make the decision for yourself and putting that trust in me and like likewise my brothers to be kind of sovereign individuals and then make those decisions it actually ended up pretty well like I didn't touch alcohol till halfway through college and like it was a voluntary choice to wait until that point Uh, I feel like I integrated it when I did pretty consciously and like honestly rarely drink now never have done any sort of drugs and so i'd say that that's a relatively good end point for kind of no hard bearing control and so if we extend even to the social media i think your approach or what you've described is like very similar where it's like present them with the options but don't I think if you like force to take it away, then there's like this animosity between you and them. And because they're going to want to do what the other kids are doing. um, Yeah. You almost have to just like lead by example and make sure that like you are the person they aspire to be rather than the people that they're around. And so they don't come home and they're like, well, Billy has, you know, phone whenever. And it's like, yeah, well, Billy's parents are sheep. Like you don't want to turn out like Billy or his parents. So I think, it's it, it's a kind of like a very high level thing. It's kind of what like my working thesis on on life in the world is like if anything, any amount of change you want to affect in the entire world, whether it's the life of your children, your loved ones, the world at large, like if you want to change the world, you need to change yourself. Like the the statement of my company, the Vitruvian is like be the Renaissance. I think we all aspire to be a part of this grand movement like where do i sign up like i I don't want to i don't want to be part of the bad guys i want to return to virtue i want to go to the woods and like build communities like i want to live this idyllic experience but the truth is like that sign up sheet isn't coming you just have to make it for yourself and then by extension 
that will attract other people that view the same. And then, I don't know, we can build these little moments of renaissance in our communities. Um, so yeah, I think looking at parenting that way is kind of your best case scenario. And we have to ride in our heads like, but this is my child. I want to take care of them and just kind of like let go. I think that's got to be obviously thinking very far ahead for myself. That's going to be like extremely hard, you know, to just like mm -hmm. let them take the wheel. Yeah. Being like finding that balance, I think between, you know, being a protective parent, but not overbearing is going to be a challenge for most people. Um, I did not grow up with overbearing parents and I am extremely grateful for that. They were very honest, similar uh, to yours, it sounds like, which is fantastic. Um, and again, because I was sort of exposed to alcoholism and drugs and all of that at quite a young age, I already knew that that existed. Um, I just didn't understand why people, why people opted for using those substances at the time. I now understand, but, but um, yeah, children and kids learn by making mistakes. If you take that away from them and you, you know, protect them at all costs, that has very detrimental impacts on their, you know, ability to grow and evolve as a, as a human being. Because it's one thing to tell someone that, you know, this is a mistake if you do this. And it's another thing to actually learn it firsthand because one is an idea and one is like a physical manifestation of a mistake, of a bad situation. So which one is going to have more of an impact on you, especially when you're a kid and your ability to conceptualise these ideas or stories that your parents are telling you it's very hard to conceptualize that as a teenager because you're like, well, who cares about that? Because this is my reality right now. And my reality is I wake up at this time and I go to school and I, the only people that matter to me are the people in this, uh, in school, you know, in this caged environment, if, if you want to think about it like that, but uh, <laughs> um, they're the only people that matter to them, their family, they go home to their family but, you know, it's about fitting in. And, uh, you know, if your mom is just like, well, Becky is probably going to get pregnant at 16 because of all of these stupid mistakes that she's making. You don't, you don't think that, well, you know, what if she doesn't? And like, who cares? Because right now she's the coolest girl ever. But more often than not, your parents are right. I mean, like, it's, it's one of those common stereotypes that you see in movies and that your parents tell you like this person is probably going to lead a pretty average life because of all of the decisions that they're making at this age. Again, that's a concept, you know, but when you see it firsthand, you're like, damn, they were right. My parents were right all along. The Becky did get pregnant. <laughs> Why didn't I just listen to them? Um, Why did I even look up to this girl? But you just can't conceptualize that sort of stuff at that age, I think. Yeah, I agree. And to get somewhat spiritual, I mean, we are all here to have an experience and to pull that away, to rob someone of it, even if we were to able to perfectly insulate, like, here's my child and they'll never feel pain. You are actually stealing the only reason that they are here. I thought about it, you know, I have two younger brothers and I was, I would, both of them had like 
long-term girlfriends. One of them's engaged. So he got the one for one. Oh, wow. Like, first girlfriend. Congrats. <laughs> taking it to the crib. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited for him. Um, but the youngest, he like dated the same girl all the way through high school or through like half of high school and into college. And I was talking to my mom about it. And I was like, look, like, I hope he found the one like I would do anything knowing how much I got hurt from previous heartbreaks, like to insulate him from that pain. But I also know that those were the biggest moments of self-learning for myself, like huge moments of growth, learning about who I am, my own value. What do I want out of relationships? What do I not want out of relationships? All that stuff. And just so to steal that from him, just because I want to protect him, that would actually be cheating him of all that growth. Like I wouldn't take that away from my younger self. So why would I want to take it away from him? And I think our children by extension is another one of those where you have all this love, but the biggest act of love is to actually let them get hurt and let them learn mm. from it. Mm. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's a really difficult thing to, I mean, like, obviously I'm not a parent, you're not a parent, but I can imagine that that is the biggest challenge and the biggest hurdle as a parent to be like, I've given you this information, but what you do with it is up to you. It's all in your hands now. And I, I, I really hope that you make the right decision, but you just have to have faith. I think as a parent that you have raised a good child. And as you said earlier, led by example, because that is the biggest influence of all. And I can, you know, all, a lot of the things that I talk about online, a lot of people, I've gotten messages from people being, being like, well, you're using social media. And it's like, yeah, I get, I get that. I get, I understand that it's, it's pretty hypocritical in some ways. Um, but my goal overall is not to, you know, stop using social media. My goal is not to encourage people to just completely get rid of social media because it is a reality that we're going to have to face. Just like the reality of like, you know, other things that your children are going to have to face eventually. Um, it's about learning to sort of deal with the cards that you've been dealt and, you know, integrate it into your life in a, in a, um, in a meaningful way that it doesn't sort of overtake your entire identity, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's funny that, I mean, it is, I do like that there are people, you know, keeping you honest on the, on yeah. the with, with the banter because uh, it is kind of like a funny meta thing that I think is is honestly a call to action for someone like yourself that like thinks so deeply and critically about this stuff to even recognize the like, yeah, the the meta like I'm talking about social media and critiquing it on social media. <laughs> um, it's worth it's worth acknowledging. And I do think it's kind of a funny thing, but it is also interesting Absolutely. that those same type of people that are like actually being critical and like reaching out in a negative way, like those people unfortunately need your kind of messaging the most, you know, and I, at any time, like I'm a, a very small creator by, you know, relative sizing, but as I kind of continue to grow the proportion of people that give you that negative feedback, it, it's funny when you start to get like your first online hate and you know that those people need <laughs> the message that you're trying to share so badly I but know. you kind of just have to again like lead by example just keep doing your thing 
And, uh, mm. you know, hopefully they'll come around and realize like, maybe, maybe I could recognize, like for myself, I do like outreach every single day, like cold outreach, looking for clients and everything. And so, you know, I'm in the DMS just like trying to connect with people and I've always led by, and I'm glad that I've been able to maintain this because especially at the beginning when I was a lot more emotionally affected by like people telling me to fuck off, I was always like, okay, man, hope you're well. And like the amount that that dissolves those layers of hate so quickly. Oh, it's rude. Really, like, I just, well, I, know. I don't know. I it's, don't know. it's really shocking. It was shocking to me. I was like, just to be, to be set off by a question. Cause like, I'm, I'm, I genuinely like open pretty, uh, I guess like not salesy. I try not to be. I'm just trying to connect with people. Cause honestly, like, I believe at a fundamental level, like, there are people that will work with me, there are people that won't. I'm just trying to find the people that will like through the means that I have. So it's, it's no, no skin off my back if it's like the wrong thing. So I always reacted just like very simply with like, hope you're well, man. Sorry to bother. And like the amount that those people that like acted in, in such an incendiary way, like dissolved down they're like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I'm just going through something. It's actually crazy. You know, like that's mm-hmm. why I try to look at all the negative stuff I get online. And if you always kind of like lead with not to be like very corny, but like lead with love or lead with empathy, understand that that person's probably going through something like bad, you know, for them to act out of hate. There's a ton of self-hate that is going on in their world. So I don't know. Is it again, a a weird symptom and byproduct of this digital world where when you're hiding behind a screen, when you're behind a keyboard, like thousands of miles away, time zones away, you can just like fire these weapons at people where, Otherwise, you wouldn't necessarily. Now, some of them might walk down the street and say some heinous shit, but most people won't because there is that human level. Like, I can't look you in the eyes and berate you, but I can look at your Mm. profile picture and berate you. Yeah. It's just very interesting. Yeah. Well, you're stripping humanity away, especially when you can hide behind, you know, the shadows of an anonymous account. If you have this image that you found on Pinterest or like, you know, some sort of anime character as your PFP, there's no repercussions. You can be rude and it won't, it won't impact your reputation because no one knows who you are. And I mean, I have my own sort of qualms against the whole anonymous accounts, especially when we're shifting towards more online communication but a lot of people just forget that there is another human on the other side. As a caveat, I do remember or I recall listening to Jordan Peterson talk about how trolls have a proclivity towards, like, psychopathy. So, I mean, obviously those kind of pe- psychopaths do exist in real life. They just do not care about your emotions. They would insult you. They would be rude to you. They would hurt you. They don't care. Um, trolls generally apparently fit into that category. So those kind of people you just kind of need to ignore. But for an average person, yeah, they're just having a bad day and they project that bad day onto a tweet that they disagree with or that triggers them in any sort of way. And this, again, is why, like, uh, self-awareness is just so important, especially with, like, interactions online and responses that you get, um, whether it's whether you read a tweet and it triggers you, I, it's better to not respond and ask yourself, oh, why did that actually trigger me? 
And then if someone responds to you in a rude way, then, yeah, you just kind of have to think, like, this person is just clearly triggered and upset by what I've said, probably because there's some truth to it, you know? Um, but I just, I'm shocked that people would be also just so rude to you when you're just, you know, asking for just a human interaction, man. Like, it's, this is just human inter. You're a human, I'm a human. You're not better than I am. We're all just humans, you know, we're living a unique experience as individuals. You know, you someone may achieve more in life, but I don't think I'm any better than, like, a drunk at the pub who's just had some bad experiences in life and probably wasn't given good guidance, you know, and probably di didn't have good friends or a good family and didn't have a good influence. Like you just need to lead with empathy and lead with love in these kind of situations. If you start having this sort of superiority complex with who you are and then you create, you know, a profile online and just sort of like walk around like you, you're, you know, you're the shit sort of thing, <laughs> excuse my language, but like it's, it's just, it, it, it lacks, it lacks humanity. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, I said this in a recent Substack uh, article that like social media has become a place where you can hang up your humanity like a piece of clothing. Mm. And I just think that that's so true. Not for everyone, again, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, they do forget that there is another person on the other side receiving that message. And you would never, ever say that to their face, ever. But the fact that we can't see sort of someone's body language or their physical response to what you've said, you don't care. And yeah. that's, again, kind of concerning and really upsetting and strips away our humanity. Yeah, I honestly think that that is exactly why I've seen the kind of hard walls come down so abruptly when you lead with like an empathetic statement like, hey, sorry to bother you. Hope you're well, because they're not. It's like almost this like stark reminder that like, oh, shit, like this is a person. This wasn't like a bot reaching out. This is like this is some dude like just shooting me a DM and I'm some dude. And so it's interesting, like for me at this point, like I'm so a year plus into like the journey and in sales, they like everyone talks about like just you eventually want the no's because like you're only a certain amount of no's away from your next yes. So my mm -hmm. my mindset has shifted a lot. Like I've become a lot less emotionally affected. It's just kind of part of the part of the structure of it all. But it was really kind of an interesting thing. I found myself at the very beginning getting like very dejected when you send all these messages and like people don't open or people don't respond. Um, it's almost like you you tie up your your self-worth in how people respond to your presence online and you know i don't post pictures of myself really online typically it's like pictures that i'm writing or branded content whatever i mean i i suppose i put up long form video podcasts but it's small enough now <laughs> that like i'm not i'm not looking at the likes and really internalizing anything i just kind of put it up because i i really enjoy these conversations and i think that i know that down the road like once i have amassed a larger following it will be so cool both for myself but to like 
my future audience members to be like, holy shit, like he was having sick conversations back in 2023 with like these amazing creators. It's crazy we didn't know about him back then. I just think about like building yeah. this kind of like vault of really amazing content and it it just lives on into perpetuity. So that kind of stands alone. But as far as just putting yourself out there, like even as a dude, I'm not posting like thirst traps, but it's like you, you some amount of your self-worth, like it, it is a fraction of yourself into the world. Validate me. Like this is a part of myself. Absolutely. And, and then when you don't get it back with, a bunch of red hearts or a bunch of checks like it feels not great yeah yeah i i think that um i mean you're definitely gonna do fantastic and i i can i sense that i think you're you're definitely going to you know grow an audience a, a large following and a lot of these people who said piss off originally um they're probably gonna come crawling back into your dms being like hey man <laughs> I actually really want to be on your podcast now. Um, but, you know, yeah, it is It is a really strange, it's just such a strange sort of thing that we're trying to navigate now as humans. And our parents can't give us advice because this is new. We're trying to navigate this all on our own, you know, and yeah, the whole likes thing and external validation. It, it's that it's that weird sort of, you know, reliance on instant gratification as opposed to respecting and appreciating the um, the results of delayed gratification. You know, I am really really struggling with instant gratification. I'm going to be completely transparent about that. It is something that I am, I am, and have for the longest time uh, struggled with, because it's so easy to just like post a nice photo of yourself, or you know, um, have some really sort of uh, triggering tweet and put that out into the world and get some sort of interaction back for that quick sort of dopamine hit it's extremely addicting. Um, but I'm really trying to lean more into delayed gratification by prioritizing long form content, having conversations like this, where I know that at times I don't sound perfect, but again, like I'm human. And like that, that comes with like, um, that comes with experience and practice and all of that. Um, but yeah, prioritizing that delayed gratification in a world that seems to be so obsessed with instant gratification and doesn't really value hard work as much, but we do. It's really, it's really strange. Um, we seem to value sort of the follows and the likes, but at the end of the day, we have a deep respect for people who spend years and years and years honing a craft and, you know, writing a book or creating a movie or, you know, yeah, that, that sort of uh, creating a longer form YouTube video, for example, you know, like that, those sort of things, it takes time, it takes practice, expertise, um, hard work, 
building a house is another one I've been reading a lot about like craftsmanship and stuff like if someone's if someone builds a house and you see this physical manifestation of an idea that was like an original idea in your brain that's so incredible and worth so much respect way more than some Instagram thought who takes a selfie and puts it on Instagram gets a million likes it's like who who at, at our core do we respect more and yeah we seem to again like be in this world where likes and um yeah likes comments follows it sort of means that you're respected but it because you're getting attention and you're getting validation because in the past and this is this is like weird I'm kind of going on off on a tangent but in the past people who only got like fans or attention or validation were people who would have had to have worked very hard on a specific skill or craft and become somewhat of an expert in some field, whether it's creative or like a trade, whatever it is. Those people had to work hard for the respect and the fans and the um, sort of their achievements. But now, you know, just any person can go and get cosmetic surgery and post a nice photo of themselves online and amass a following. It, it's so insincere, you know? Does that yeah. make sense? It, it, it's, it's really weird. It's a really weird kind of um, thing to, to um, observe in this modern social media technology world. Yeah, I was actually... Over the weekend, I was catching up with a mutual friend of ours, Peyton, and I was asking her because she had posted something on her story about how she's kind of taking a step back from being ever present online and kind of evaluating how she felt about that because she does feel from the creator side a responsibility for the consumption side, meaning she doesn't want to be a reason why someone is online too much or is... Mm -hmm idolizing her life given that she's a lifestyle creator lives kind of a what appears to be online like a very idyllic life healthy um all of these standards right like she she's sharing her life online and she doesn't want someone to live vicariously through her more mm. than necessary but as we kind of discussed and you're kind of alluding to as well in your experiences that like where do you draw the line knowing that not only is this a way to influence people and the more people that hear your message and become like audience members, fans, whatever you want to call them, like even just eyeballs that hear your message. Like if the goal is to share that with as many people as possible, then it's almost like your obligation and your duty to grow the scale of the audience, to be present um, online so that the message is out there meanwhile balancing like i don't want to be online too much personally but i also don't want to be responsible for people being online too much it's just a very interesting uh place to be in and then kind of one thing that we ha you haven't and we haven't touched on is the fact that paired with all of the kind of just general validation there is also the added layer now that it is extremely lucrative like and that's why i was i was commending peyton specifically and you're in a very much similar state where it's like you are both beautiful young women that could be making 
money strictly off of your appearance alone. And there are many women doing that, like tempted into this world of unbelievable, like exorbitant amounts of wealth, not only with the gratification of just the eyeballs, but like, hey, we'll send you a paycheck for five, six figures a month to just put yourself out there. So I, that's why I was like commending her and and a creator like yourself as well, where like I want young women and likewise, I find myself like wanting to become some level of successful or like ever present online and saying like, hey, you can do it the right way. You don't have to, to get successful in this world. You don't have to compromise virtue. You don't have to compromise morals. And this isn't to like, you know, moralistically, whatever, like people can live their lives. Life is one of one. As far as I'm aware, everyone is just an object in the perception of my mind. But as far as I want to have some amount of principles and like stand for something, I think it's so important that, you know, young women have people like yourself, people like Peyton to look up to and be like, that's awesome. You know, like they still talk to their father, like they have values, like they aspire to be a mother, like live a life that is beyond skin deep, share something meaningful with the world, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a really weird um, concept that I've been struggling with for a really, really long time. And I think that Peyton is probably the same because um, we've both done a bit of modeling and as well, like the kind of interactions that you have with people, um, a lot of people do sort of see you uh, as as the as the way that you present yourself externally. Um, and it, it's kind of like, it's kind of nice sometimes to surprise people by being weird or having some weird sort of eclectic knowledge about something. <laughs> They're like, hmm, that's interesting. I wouldn't have expected you to, to think that way or to act that way. But, you know, the, your looks are literally just, an addition. They shouldn't become your entire identity. If you rely on your looks for your sense of value, for your sense of worth, you're going to end up being a very sad, shallow, vapid person who has to eventually come to terms with the brutal reality that we age. We're not going to be young and pretty forever what are you going to do then? You know? So yeah, it's, it's a really strange thing. And I have a lot of respect for the whole, like not wanting people to live vicariously. Cause I have thought a lot about that as, as well. I don't actually have Instagram anymore. Um, and I got rid of TikTok as well because I don't want to be contributing to people's low attention spans for, for like firstly, um, and again, I, I kind of want to lean into more uh, meaningful creations such as long form writing um, or long form videos where it actually takes me time and uh, it, it takes deeper thought behind the process to actually put it out there. And it, 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 you know, you have to, you have to create it, then you have to read through it all and, you know, force yourself to embrace deep work and productivity in a world that, you know, pretty much 
is filled with distractions. So, yeah, um, it's an easy way out is what I'm trying to say. It's an easy way out to just create short form content and use your looks to make money. Is it tempting? Yeah, absolutely. It's tempting. Um, but is that actually going to fulfill me? Is that going to make me proud uh, like as a future mother to show my children? Is that going to make my father proud? Um, is it genuinely going to help people is kind of like my main, my main priority. There are a lot of attractive people in the world. There are women who are 10 times more beautiful than I am and they're making a lot of money. Good for them. I am not drawn to that. You know, I would much rather help people just navigate reality and like whatever the heck is going on and not fall for these temptations because it is so easy to be drawn in to uh, living a shallow life where all meaning is derived from superficial materialistic objects and experiences. Yeah, I, th I think it's really powerful and I think we're very aligned. And it's it's funny because I speak on it somewhat frequently just because i'm i'm extremely passionate about meaning and fulfillment and like people giving their gift and truly like living what i think is the purpose of our lives um rather than getting caught up in these temptations these kind of proverbial side quests i talk a lot about like the especially because we're on this kind of like corner of like money twitter all whatever like in this creator corner we found ourselves on so many people, especially young guys my age, like everyone's talking about like building their company so that they can buy their first watch or buy the car. And like they're toting these characters that are doing it. And I'm always like trying my best to just like continue to write in various different ways, tactfully, as tactfully as I can about like, hey, I also aspire to be greatly wealthy, but I also know that that isn't going to be the point that is fulfilling. Like if mm. you think that that is the top of the mountain, like you're going to get to that peak and realize that the mountain was actually completely over there and you were just climbing the wrong thing in the first place. And so I always like retweet when these dudes who have actually built businesses to like 20, $30 million got in the car and been like, now I am seeking fulfillment or that was, that wasn't it. Like I was wrong the whole time. I'm just choosing to take those lessons from whether it's, you know, current creators, and businessmen or King Solomon and the wisdom of many men that have died before and said like, really? don't store up silos of grain and expect that to be fulfilled. Like what is it to gain the world and lose yourself? Like this is timeless wisdom that is repeated over and over and over and over again. I'm choosing to just before I make all the money, like focus my time and attention on the things that I believe are the points of fulfillment, which are like relationships predominantly with yourself, like actually coming to, really embody like self-love and in like a not like mm. I'm in my self-love era, but like in a real, like <laughs> in a real, yeah, like in a selfless in way. Yeah. Like, can you look in the mirror and be like, I got my, I'm here for myself and like, I don't need anyone else, but I'm so my cup is overflowing. And now I want to share that with other people, like in a very mm. genuine way. Those are the things that I think is meaningful. And then when I am blessed in the future with, 
external wealth, I can parlay that into whatever it is, whether it's the stupid experiences or cars or watches, whatever, but, you know, pouring also back into the people in my life that have given me the opportunity to do the same. It's just interesting. Cause I don't, you know, people are hard. It's hard to internalize that when you haven't gotten the things they're like, yeah, well, easy for you to yeah. say, you know, it's because it, they yeah. like that you could, they can condemn it as cope, you know, and similar. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've actually seen it actually on, on some of the stuff you put out, you're talking about like, Oh, don't be validated by looks. And then girls or guys will be like, yeah, easy for you to say, cause you're gorgeous. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's definitely a very biased. It's tough. Like you can't change that fact about yourself. And I can't snap my fingers overnight and get a hundred million dollars and just be like, oh, I'm not not measurably happier now. I just have to take it for myself as a lesson. I'm curious how you kind of deal with that. Yeah, interesting. And I have so much respect for you for that reason. Like hearing someone say, you know, this materialistic sort of these materialistic things do not fulfill me completely. Um it is very interesting and it, it's funny because I was literally just thinking about those comments from people that are just like, it's easy for you to say, but I actually think that it's because, you know, because of my experience perhaps being, it's really weird talking about myself like that. Um, I, I also really struggle with that as well because like trying to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm an objectively attractive person, but um, it's something that I've struggled with, like sort of just accepting that truth about yourself and then moving on from it. Um, because yeah, again, like even my interactions in real life sort of has, uh, I let them define me as, oh, I'm, I'm an attractive person. That is all that I am. That is all that I can give. Mm. And man, that sucks. Like, it sucks so much to allow that just consume your entire identity because there are days where you're not going to feel good. You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to be like, ah, I, I look like crap. And you, you, you embody that and take it with you for the rest of the day and it can ruin your entire day. Um, it's a really strange thing. And also, you know, people sort of um, saying that, oh, because of this, your life is easier. But I think that because of the way that I sort of analyze my existence, um, I have a unique perspective to give. So because I have been perceived as attractive by other people, I know that there are positives, but I also know the, the, the flaws of it as well. And why, if you place so much importance on that, similar to you, if you place too much importance on the idea of getting your Rolex, like it's not actually meaningful. It's not actually going to fulfill you. It's not going to fill your cup in any way. In a superficial way, fine. Will it make you feel good, you know, on the days that you look at it and you're like, yeah, man, I've achieved something good. Or you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I feel good about myself. But have you achieved anything? Like, I suppose it's it, perhaps it's a little bit different for men because you do eventually have to, you have to work very hard to earn the money and live that kind of lifestyle for an attractive woman. It, it like, dude, you didn't earn it. 
You didn't earn it. It was your parents. It just happened to be that you're an attractive person. That is not achievements are what fulfill you. So, yeah, I mean, if you rely on sort of materialistic things to fill your cup, you're not going to be a happy person because ultimately you'll get bored and then you buy the next one and then you get bored of that and then you buy the next one. Money is great because if anything, my main sort of attraction or the appeal for money for my from my perspective is the ability to travel and have more opportunities to live life. Um, anyone can buy clothes. Anyone can go to an op shop and find some nice clothes and dress well. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know if that sort of makes sense. But I just don't think that, like, relying on these sort of shallow objects to fulfil you and fulfil your life and provide meaning, it's not going to it's not going to uh, make you happy in the long term. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of like the hedonic treadmill, but it's basically saying that like when you pick these buckets of hedonistic pleasure, whether it's sex, drugs, attention, money, alcohol, material possessions, like it is an infinite loop and a a pit that cannot be filled because there is always the nicer watch, the nicer car, the prettier girl, like, the more attractive partner, the higher follower count, all of this stuff. Like there is literally an infinite upward mobility. And in that, if you place the identity or maybe, uh, I don't know if identity is the right word, place your kind of attention and validation and, and focus on how you're filling that bucket, like you'll never see that water level rise because it's a, it, you're just infinitely on this concept of the hedonic treadmill, but it's about stepping off of that. And again, moving towards something where you're actually making measurable progress. I think you put it well, like fulfillment comes from achieving things like proportional effort to output is super important. And I think that that is widely circle back to the social media thing. Like that's the problem is there's a complete disconnect between the dopamine, which is like the brain's reward mechanism for we did a good thing and mm. actually doing any good thing. You're just plugging yeah. into the dopamine machine and on a life level, you're plugging into the fulfillment machine by just purchasing <laughs> things or seeking attention and validation or seeking a high off of drugs or some sort of very like transient experience that at the end of the day, like you have to go to bed with yourself. Like, and I had this conversation yeah. with David, a friend of mine, uh, a couple episodes back on the podcast, we were talking about like, cause he said he felt like for a long time he was living below his potential and how that was kind of eating at him. And I think that, mm. you know, we started this conversation out about talking about purpose and like living a life that is fully you. And I actually think that like, even those people this is like a personal opinion, but I think that the people that we l- see like living these like normal lives and oh, it's good for them. Like they chose that. Like I really hesitate to believe that any person was meant to be like a store clerk. And I have a ton of respect for people who do what's necessary to provide for their families and like make a meaningful existence. But I do know that at a very human level, I think the human spirit like craves experience learning and creation 
And so if they're not giving their gift in some other way, whether it's a hobby or on the weekends they coach or you know any myriad of like things that you can do, you're always held accountable to yourself. Like you can say like, "Oh no, it's all good. Like I loved what I do, no problem. Like I'm happy to be a consultant, you know, strap the tie on and go do the thing." But like at the end of the night, like you know what you were meant to do. Like you cannot escape that accountability. And I think that that, that slow itch or scratch or like almost like nagging pain where it's not enough to make you change. But I think that on a long enough time horizon that wears at people's soul. And then the scary part is like at some point you're over the cliff and you can't make the change on what your life is amounted to. And that's when the big R word like regret comes in and people are like, fuck, I missed it, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is not a, a ship that someone wants to miss, right? Like it's a, it's a really hard truth to have to acknowledge if you have missed that boat. Um, I don't, I don't think that it's ever too late really for anyone to make a change and, you know, I, what, who was it? It was like, um, I don't want to say Picasso, some famous painter. Um, he started painting at like 28. There was a, another famous female painter who started painting in her fifties. You know, it's never too late to start some sort of journey that is going to fulfill you. Um, but the first step is acknowledging that you're unhappy with the path that you're on and also acknowledging that there is much more to life than what you're currently doing. And that's a really difficult pill to swallow, I think, for a lot of people because you have to first come, come to terms with the fact that perhaps you've wasted a lot of time um, pretending like you were happy when you weren't. Um, that's That's a really difficult sort of reality to come to terms with and then you know you have to then figure out well what is it that's actually going to uh provide meaning and uh fulfillment for me and you have to sort of experiment with many different things to figure out what it is that is actually going to um fill your cup if that makes sense so I think that we're sort of lucky in that way that we do have that over-analytical mind. We can't really sit still and just settle for average. I'm not someone who can, and perhaps like that kind of makes me a bit more masculine in that way, but I did grow up in like a more masculine household. I can't know that there is more to life and there is more to this experience and yet settle for living an average life. I just, I simply cannot settle. So, you know, it's, um, I do agree. I agree that I can't imagine how anyone, uh, you, you call it a, a clerk. I call them um, like just uh, retail workers. <laughs> it's just weird, like the lingo, um, but yeah. I, I can't imagine how someone working in retail would be very happy. My dad's a butcher and I'm just like, you know, I know that he's not happy 
you know, doing that job anymore. And whilst he's a really, uh, he, he's really good with communicating with people and he's such a positive person overall, um, sometimes I can't help but want more for him. And, yeah, so I don't know. I, I think that um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, yeah, I think no, that um, I- ultimately, ultimately average life sucks achieve greatness and you know yearn for greatness that's that's a that's a good thing yeah i i agree and the i think that the parent can of worms is a bit much to open at the hour hour 20 mark but yeah it's uh i don't know if you listen to founders podcast um david senra his like he's been blowing up on twitter and like and he has this thing he talks about you can always find the father in the son or in your case, the daughter. Um, and he's talking about like all these great men heavily informed by the way that their father either did or did not live. And I can know mm. for certain my the the decisions I'm making now are so dramatically informed by the decisions that my dad didn't make, at least professionally didn't make, you know, like the dreams he didn't chase. Um and at least at the time, like at his age, whatever. Um, I'm still fortunate to have both my parents around. And that is why I still am navigating sharing my story completely to depth as far as from their perspective and why I think the way I do. I, I'm an open book. Like I really want to just kind of like sit down and rip a podcast solo and just like spill it all out there. But it, writing the line of like what's mine to share and what's their their life because they're choosing to you know not share certain things with their friends in the external world. Anyway, before I digress too deeply into a therapy session, I, I just think that like it is, yeah, my 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 working thesis on life, all of my theories, heavily informed by how my parents did or did not live. And it has led me to believe at a fundamental level, every single person is meant for something great, whether they get mm-hmm. to that in their lifetime or not is dependent on their choices but i i believe at a very fundamental level like because we are all connected to this human spirit this experience this like greater intelligence call it god whatever language or creed or story you come from to navigate what the hell is going on outside of our animal body like that is great like there is power to tap into and mm. i feel like you know i am at least dancing around it for myself and have found something that is like wildly fulfilling to a degree that is kind of inexplicable to my previous like life experience. And I'm so filled with it now that like, that's why I'm so passionate about finding other people, helping them find their thing, you know, having these kind of conversations, like who knows? And that's what like is crazy about the media thing is it's like, it's infinite leverage. You put a tweet out, you don't have to write that tweet for every new person to read it. You know, every yeah. person on earth could go read that if we could get them access to it. This podcast mm-hmm. could be played ad infinitum long after we are dead. That's amazing. Like, yeah, who knows how long the internet will be around before they, you know, the elites switch it off or whatever. But like, as long as people <laughs> have free access to, you know, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, like they will be able to go back to this. And if one person, if a single person takes value from this and then goes and lives their purpose and changes the world, we've done our jobs. Like call it quits, wrap it up. Like we can go 
chill in the graveyard and our life will be meaningful because we gave meaning to someone else. And so that's why like I get so excited about this kind of stuff and like connecting with people that also do meaningful work, trying to get people to be more conscious because we need more good guys. And like, I'm very optimistic about the future because you have to choose one way to be and it like feels a lot better to be optimistic. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I've thought about this a lot. How like you have pretty much two options. You have two options in life, which is either be positive and optimistic about the future or be pessimistic, cynical, black-pilled and, you know, just be negative a negative Nancy your entire life. Why would you choose? Why would you choose that option? Why would you choose to be negative and pessimistic and think that nothing is ever going to work out? Even in the darkest hours, there is something good a good lesson to learn. Almost guaranteed, all of our bad experiences that both you and I have had has helped us become the person that we are today. That's incredible. You know, a lot of the lessons that we've learned that have now, you know, built up to, you know, who we are now and to sort of like create who we are now, um, you know, they are, they, they have helped us uh, in many ways. So, yeah, I think it's definitely much better to be optimistic about the future and just, like, find the good in the bad. Um, but, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, everyone just wants to have some sort of impact on this world. They just want to do something good. They want to help people. And, um, you know, whether or not your, your need and want to leave behind, leave something good behind and have an impact on this world. It needs to outweigh the amount of distractions and the social pressures in this world. It needs to outweigh it. You need to want that more. Otherwise you're going to succumb to just using your phone all the time, using drugs to sort of escape the truth. And this is why like solitude is so important in my opinion. Like you need to be able to sit alone with your own thoughts and really ask yourself, what are your priorities in this life? What do you actually want and how are you going to get there? But if you just spend so much, like, all of your time just on your phone distracting yourself from this truth, that this ultimate truth, as you're saying, that we all need purpose, we all have a drive to be great, you know, if you just distract yourself from that truth, then, yeah, you're probably going to eventually wake up one day and regret it. You don't want to be that old person sitting on a rocking chair, looking back at your life, thinking, man, I really, I really messed up. That is, that is, that is, there is no worse fate, in my opinion. I agree. It's why regret is so, such an insidious fate, because there is no longer something you can do to change it. You know, it's like true powerlessness. And I think feeling powerless is like one of the worst feelings you could give to someone because it's like, mm. it's kind of the embodiment of fear. Like you have literally no control, you know, think of like why people are afraid of the open ocean or you're getting thrown around in the waves. Like you are flatly powerless against what's going on. And I, I look at regret almost like that, where it's like this all consuming, oh my God, like, and, and I don't know, you know, like I, the closer of this podcast, I have it tattooed on my arm. So like my audience members will know well, but like memento mori is something that is an extremely important concept to me. It means like, remember that you will die or remember you are mortal. Um, yeah, man. And it's just such an important razor to like 
run your day and all of your actions through. Because if you were to put your head down at the end of the day today, like if today was you at 80, whatever, like now we're in the rocking chair. Are you happy with how it went? Like genuinely, like it's crazy. It's a very damning question. And the answer does not have to be yes, because you can't change how today went. You can't change how your life's been to now. But if you ask yourself that kind of question every single day or every week when you do your weekly journal, like whatever the practice looks like, if you get the answer no enough, something's got to give. You got to make a change because you don't know actually when that end point is. Like the way that my tattoo is like structured, like I have my birth year and then memento mori because you know your start date, end date could be whenever. Like it could be click end on this podcast. I go take a walk. Bam. Like I just get dropped. Like some truck just sends me and that's it. But like, because I'm doing things like this, you know, this podcast wouldn't be able to make it up, but I know that you were impacted by this conversation. If you took one mental model, one turn of phrase from me and shared that with your audience, like that is my life made. Right. And I've already collected 41 podcasts before this that will be able to go on outside of myself. I've worked with plenty of men that are now doing more like purpose-driven work. And so that's why I stepped into this stuff and, you know, wind the clock back just over a year ago, I wasn't in that place because I was working a full-time engineering job. And so that's why I moved with such urgency to get to a place where my answer became yes. And so I know that for anyone listening, like it's okay if your answer is no right now, it's okay if you're doing the job that is paying the bills or you're the university student and you're studying whatever because it's what they told the smart kid to study or it's because like that was your background it fit at university whatever like directionlessness it's okay to feel directionlessness i just think it's not okay to not look for it mm. yeah 100 um i think that reminding yourself that yeah you're going to die it's a brutal brutal truth for sure and uh it's yeah, I, I'm curious to ask you actually because I don't think I'm ever going to be completely satisfied with who I am and like my achievements. I feel like I'm always working towards a better version of myself. And so I do believe that people like you and I are always going to feel like that. Like we can always achieve more, we can always become a better version of ourselves. What is your advice for people who, or do you, do you think that you're ever going to be completely satisfied with your achievements and who you are? I love the role reversal here. I'm, I'm on Abby's Yeah, I know. I'm now. sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is good. I, I think it's an amazing question. And uh, gosh, I think that I've of course struggled with it. I've, I've thought very conceptually about this, like, even with the hedonic treadmill, like what am I continuing to chase something for the hope that I get to somewhere? And and when I'm very self-analytical and I look about like, you know, to use the T word trauma, but like my upbringing, what were the parts that like really internalized into little me that made him, I've always been a high achiever. It was like top of the class in high school, go to the best university, be a team captain on every team like be the president of every organization, like the resume reflected this drive. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's like amazing. You're a very driven individual. But like, 
I think it's the truth of it all. Like when I really go back is that like somehow, and I don't know what it was. Like I didn't come from a particularly traumatic background, but like there was a belief very deeply internalized in myself that I wasn't worthy of love until I did something or became something versus just mm. I am. So I think that that's actually kind of been a superpower for me and one that I'm not going to totally discard because I think all of the greatest men in history had something like that where they had like to really go for it. But to answer like, how do I find contentment and fulfillment along the path? Like, how do I live that paradise life on my road to the paradise life as I've defined in like the vision statements and the the mood board and like, oh, I want to have this house and this many kids and live in this place, but I don't have the means to get there. There's a few like helpful phrases. One is impatient with action, patient with results. And so that's helpful, especially like as an entrepreneur, like I can't control how fast my audience grows. I can't control how fast. And, and it's like shockingly hard to grow organically online, especially because I don't have any like, like there's either, you either pay to get there and I don't have a bunch like infinite free capital to leverage into like paid growth. And if you're just doing organic, I don't know, like I'm not hacking the viral algorithm. I'm just putting out meaningful content and, and like trusting the process. So that's huge for me. Yeah. And yeah. And I don't have like the pretty picture every like fifth post to like boost me up. So it is what it is, but I really do like the work. So I'm happy to do it for a long time. But anyway, it still is hard to not get to the things you want immediately. Um, so impatient with action, like loving the process, but being patient with whatever X result is. And that could stem for these big achievements. Like I also aspire to one day write a book. At this point, I don't even know what that book would be about. But like, I think books mm -hmm. are really enduring. They've given me so much. I want to be able to give back in that way. But that's a huge accomplishment on the list. But if I was focused on like, ah, you know, I'm not somebody till I've written a book, then I'm delaying my ability to be happy until I've written the book. And then I'll write, I'll end up publishing and be like, damn, that was a lot of time not being happy. <laughs> and like, I could have just been happy. Yeah. The whole time. So I, yeah. I think it's not, it's not easy. This is like one of those things that is very simple, but hard, uh, is like giving your, giving yourself permission to be happy and be present. And, you know, we started talking offline. I don't know how much I'll include about that before we started the podcast about presence, about meditation, about breath work. Like, I don't know if you've read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, but like all we have is this moment. It's a wild paradox about the human experience, but like the past is this somewhat constructed fiction that we agreed happened. The future, we like we're getting there as time is elapsing, but we only experience like infinitely one moment at a time. And so how do you always just draw your attention back to the moment and say, like, how can I be my best self right now? Like millionaire Zach exists in a future timeline. I'm not a millionaire yet, but how can I access what he's going to be like as a person now? How can I access the wisdom of father Zach now? What would that guy say to himself, mentoring himself like he would mentor his kids? And this is getting very conceptual and meta, I know, but I think it's a lot of that stuff where you, it's kind of like, I don't know, there's nothing more powerful than the present moment. So how do you always return back to it? And it's these helpful reminders. It's putting tattoos on your arm. It's putting wallpapers on your phone. It's putting <laughs> whatever it takes to get the self-defeating human nature out of the way. 
we have this like very short attention span, very quick memory, and we're on to the next. We're on to the next achievement. We're on to the next day. Infinitely stimulated, talking to people, going online. It's a lot that pulls you away from the present moment. And so you have to pull yourself back. So mm. uh, for me, it's like there are there are pillars, pillars of training every single day, mindfulness practices, deep conversations, long walks alone. Solitude is a huge one. I did for my 24th birthday this year, I did a five-day silent retreat. That was hard as shit. <laughs> How but, was that? I've been wanting to do one. Yeah, it's uh so I I did a for anyone curious, I did a full podcast on it. If you want to go back, um, uh, cause I won't be able to explain kind of all my thoughts, but I think it's, Oh, that's fine. Sorry. It's, it's no, 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 it's, it's good. And, uh, I'm happy to share. It's one of those things that I think if you have the desire to do it, 100% do it. What I recommend to most people, probably not. Um, I paired it with a five day fast, which I had also never done an extended fast like that. I think both of those are challenging. I think paired together more challenging because like mm. I thought it was going to be one of those things where like as the silence and the aloneness was getting to me, I could focus on the hunger and like kind of almost, you know, distract myself with the, each challenge as they came. But I think that they amplified because I had nothing to do. Like when you're really bored, it's like, fuck, I also just want to eat right now too. <laughs> <laughs> and and like if I was really, really bored, I could break my day up by cooking and eating meals as something to do. Um, so I think it was total lack of stimulation was super intense, but I'm glad that I did it. And I'm now adopting this thing that has started this year as like I want to do something hard every year for my birthday as like a way to start the year or like my year, because I think yeah. it's... Uh, a cool way to like live life downhill. Like if you do something, overcome something really challenging at the beginning, the year can only be easy from there. There's a Japanese concept called the Masogi, which is like kind of somewhat similar. It's like every year in a person's life, you overcome one mountain, one massive obstacle. And that's kind of how you, you know, live a meaningful life or whatever. So stealing it from them, incorporating it into my life. I don't know what next year's will be. I'm kicking around the idea of running a marathon with no training. Never run a marathon, but seems hard but uh, we'll see you can do it absolutely yeah i think i'll be thrashed for about a week but it seems like one of those <laughs> things that why not and i definitely will not be retreating to the woods for silence again i don't think anytime soon yeah it's interesting that you brought up boredom because yeah it, it's i i was i talked about this in a recent video that i did that boredom is like this necessary sensation it's similar to thirst and hunger funnily enough um <laughs> it's funny that you probably had to balance both of these like very instinctual um sensations that like you know you need to survive but yeah obviously thirst and hunger these sensations arise you know to motivate you to either eat or to drink water because you need you need it to survive it's pretty basic and so it's interesting that like boredom is this other sensation that arises to force you to be productive and do something because, you know, isn't, isn't that kind of a sign or a symbol that we are actually supposed to be productive. And when you sit still and do nothing, or if you ignore those sensations by distracting yourself, by constantly stimulating, you know, doing stimulating tasks or, you know, you know, all of that, if you ignore that, are you going to end up being 
not a, just not a very productive person. And what, what then if you're not productive and you can't even like settle into deep work, what are you going to achieve in your life? It's just a very interesting sort of concept that I've been thinking a lot about recently because again, like full transparency, I, I, the reason I'm so passionate about social media and technology addictions is because I struggle with it. Um, and I mean that like present tense, I am still struggling with it. It's something I'm trying to overcome. And when I recently learned this idea that like boredom is a necessary sensation to motivate you to be productive and that you need to sort of do boring activities and engage in boring activities to kind of encourage you to be more productive. Um, and then at the same time, like solitude is necessary for reflection. Um, I'm trying to lean more into that and perhaps engage in tasks that are perceived as boring by me because we, again, live in a world that is so rich in stimulation and distractions. It's very hard to sit down and do deep work for like more than 60 minutes. You have to turn your phone off. You have to sort of sit in a quiet room and embrace your surroundings and embrace the task and like completely zone in on that and then get into a flow state. I've had experiences with flow states many times before, generally when I'm engaging in something creative and it's the best feeling ever. There is no other feeling like completing a task that, I don't know, just fulfills your soul, you know? It feels like you've actually done something productive with your life and done something productive with your time as opposed to just wasted it through, like, by scrolling on social media. Um, I want to kind of focus more on that feeling as opposed to the mindlessness that comes with scrolling on social media or watching Netflix. You know, I want to read more books. I was not very academic in school because, again, I I just didn't like the system. I didn't like the setup. Um, I didn't have a good time in school. And so it's interesting. I've kind of shifted from sort of hating learning and hating doing work um, to actually slowly become becoming very um, appreciative of it and respecting it as a process to evolving and becoming a better version of yourself. And you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to sit down and do work and read a book and embrace boredom in a world of, you know, intense stimulation. You need to be able to embrace that kind of setting in order to grow as a person, I think. Um, but it's a I really weird hurdle that I'm trying to overcome. I agree. And it, you're touching on a really important point about like, our modern world and it is it's fascinating that's a really interesting thing that like the boredom is necessary as the stimulus for creative acts much similar to like thirst for drinking or hunger um for finding food that's really really fascinating because it does like it's basically like a confirmation of that like creativity is also innate it is just mm. as innate as eating and surviving so that's really cool i'm definitely going to steal that and reference it um, but also, yeah, like the, we live in a world, I can't remember where I heard this first, but definitely 
on my friend Ryan's podcast. It's like we live in a world of abundance or we were designed for a world of scarcity. We evolved in a world of scarcity, but we live in a world of abundance. And so all of our mm. diseases, all of our maladaptations nowadays are diseases of abundance. You know, like mm. we're getting like all of our health conditions be- are because we're overfed, overstimulated, like just put the fork down. And I know it's like the oversimplification. We don't have to go into nutrition and all that stuff, but like, it's crazy. Like all everything that is a problem right now is overstimulation and when you step out of just the physical world and into like kind of the conceptual, mental, spiritual world, we're, we're overstimulated. There's no time alone with just you. Like who the fuck are you? One thing I realized is I think that in my like silent retreat, that was the first time I had gone that many days in a row, maybe in my entire life without seeing another person. Wow. five days yeah like it's crazy it's crazy to think like no words and no other people i i hadn't really realized that until i was there i was like was there another time because like you're born and then you're tended to until you're conscious and then once you're conscious you're in school sports you're with your parents like i was trying to think of like okay did i do any like you know weekend retreats hikes like maybe the at most i could stretch a day out 18 hours like be a, alone in my apartment over a weekend but like that it was just it, it's just nuts to kind of think about because five days isn't you know it's not an insurmountable amount of time in our lives relatively insignificant quite frankly but that's mm-hmm. nuts like I, you're you're totally stimulated from the time you come out the womb they jab you with like a bajillion needles. You're in like white, bright lights. Like it's just constant imme- and immediate stimulation. And then it only kind of evolves and changes form as we get older. And now we like opt into it with different colored apps, but just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So weird. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. I definitely think we could continue on probably add infinitum and pick different topics but i i want to be respectful of your time and also give the audience something to think about certainly we've covered a lot to like internalize and go back i hope that those who've made it this far have found it valuable i i don't know if you've made it to the end of my podcast before but i asked these kind of three closure questions which will be somewhat related to our conversation but i apologize if they wander but i typically like to ask the same of all my guests um, so the first of the three, which is probably the least related is in your eyes, what defines being a man? Oh, what defines being a man? That is a big question. I think giving back, I, I don't know. I, I like, I can't think of anything other than like connection and giving back in some sort of way. It is a gift to be put on this earth. So give back to the world and the universe in some sort of way. I think like that sort of defines what it is to be a person or a man. Um, Just to live your experience, internalize that, be introspective and then through that experience, create something and give back. That's amazing. It's crazy that this has come up twice, but I'm going to quote it again because I think it's becoming my favorite quote. I apologize. I'm going to have to pull it up, but 
I referenced this on my previous podcast a ways back, but it was uh, one. It, it has be quickly become potentially my favorite quote. It's from David Data's "Way of the Superior Man," and it goes as follows. It's very related. You were born as a sacrifice, and you can either participate in the sacrifice, dissolving into the giving of your gift, or you can resist it, which is your suffering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I feel like that that's a much uh much more philosophical way of putting what I've just said. Yeah, I often I often defer. I'm a huge quote person. You'll see that that's also related to one of the closers, but I'm a huge quote person, so I often like to I mean, I steal the words of people much more eloquent and wise than myself. Um, the second I'll of the closers <laughs> is if you could go back to a younger version of yourself and tell her one thing, what would that be? Um, stop caring about what people think of you. Wow. Stop That's stop crazy. fearing judgment. <laughs> that is like the answer. That's amazing. I don't know why <laughs> it just hit me when you said it, but like, almost unanimously people have given that answer it's really crazy yeah yeah because it stops you from achieving greatness yeah for, for no reason does. other than yourself like i think the craziest yeah. part about about that is that it's all in your head like it is a it's an illusion that someone else is the limiting factor you think it's because of someone else but it's just your choice of how they you're perceiving them mm. Yeah, I um, my experience in school was very much based on caring about what other people thought of me and what I heard other people were thinking of me and then kind of wanting to change so that they, you know, that I proved them wrong. And it's just way too much effort. Like, just, just be yourself, accept when you make mistakes and just move on from that, you know, and stop caring so much about especially what people think about like people who do not know you stop caring about what they think of you because you know, their opinion for the most part, you know, doesn't matter. I think you should always take criticism on board, but if it's just rude judgment, um, you know, let it, let it go to the wayside. I agree. And then finally, what is one quote that has always stuck with you or that you try to live by? there's actually one quote that a really long time ago I found and I was in school and I was going through a really difficult breakup um which we didn't really touch on but that was definitely like a life-changing experience and this quote put a lot of things into perspective for me and it is Forgive others not because they deserve it, but because you deserve peace. Mm. So it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of us, or at least women maybe, I don't I don't know so much about men, but you know, you can really fixate on a person and like how they've wronged you, um, whether it is a past relationship or people in school how they treated you and you can let that resentment and anger and hostility really just like bubble up inside of you and it disrupts your peace it doesn't matter whether you're right or they're right 
or they're wrong. It doesn't matter. All of these kind of things, they don't matter in, in the long term. If something is bothering you to the point that it disrupts your peace and disrupts your happiness, you need to just like forgive the situation and forgive what happened as just a byproduct of humans making mistakes and just move on from it because ultimately that's what stops you from evolving as well. If you, if you harbor these negative emotions for a really long time, you know, it stops you from recovering and growing from it and um, moving on. If you can't move on, then you're just going to be stuck in the past forever and you're not going to evolve. So yeah, forgive. I love it. A beautiful note to end on for sure. Um, It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been a few weeks in the making here, so I'm glad we finally got to sit down and share this moment um, and certainly share it with those listening. Shout out to anyone who's made it this far. I always like to give a shout to the people that make it to the end. Um, I know that there's been value all the way through, up and through the end. So thank you. Uh, Abby, I want to give you a chance to let the people know where they can find you and kind of what you're excited about and what you're working on. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter, I suppose, um, at Abby Jean X, so double N X. Um, I'm pretty active on there, but I'm also trying to uh, decrease the amount of time that I spend on there. I'm focusing more on Substack. You can find a link in my bio for Substack. I'm also working on a, um, a detox guide, and similar to you, I'd like to eventually come out with a book, but I feel as though I need to read more books and uh, be able to um, articulate myself better to eventually get to that point. Um, But, yeah, I'm working on a detox guide, which will probably be up in the next couple of weeks. But, again, um, I kind of just want to make sure that it works, you know? Like, I want to make sure that it works for me, and if it can work for me, then I feel as though it can work for anyone. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. I have YouTube as well. Pretty much just go to my Twitter you'll find everything there. (laughs) Amazing. I'll have all of your stuff linked in the show notes and the description. Obviously, for those listening, you have found us either on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, which is where you can follow along for more of these podcasts and more content for myself. You can follow me at Z-D-S-C-H-E-N-K-E-N on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Vitruvian Gentleman. Um, Some exciting things coming from me in the near future. Um, with a little bit of rebranding, recontextualizing, some exciting stuff that I've been working on and excited to share. But again, thank you guys so much for spending your time and attention, your most valuable resources with myself and Abby today. Memento Mori, and I will catch you on the next episode of the Vitribian Man podcast. And if he fails, at least fails while daring greatness so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.